A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops, if we're stopping to get gas. You will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hello, tennis fans. This is Kim Vogley from sunny San Diego, California, where it's actually raining today. Welcome to one of the best pods in Podland, the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to your weekly tennis podcast. And thank you to Kim for introducing your weekly tennis podcast from not so sunny San Diego. I can only assume Kim's intro was recorded at some point in the last week uh, where it rained solidly throughout the San Diego Open. Uh, There are lots of reasons to take a tennis tournament to San Diego. I've been and enjoyed it very much, but... The weather is pretty much number one on the list of reasons and it did not deliver as promised last week. Somehow they got the tournament finished on time uh, and we'll be talking about that tournament and an extraordinary win uh, for Iga Svantec. Surprise, surprise, folks, she's won a final. Um but yeah, it wasn't uh, wasn't sunny San Diego last week, David. No, I, I I was reading that they have on average each year about thirty eight days of rain. Well, they, they managed about six of them during the tournament, um, which is not not exactly what was advertised. And even when it wasn't raining, it looked like. Solly Hull in November. I can vouch for that. Um, (laughs) And another little uh, note that is dear to my heart, Chris Clary of the New York Times was saying that it reminded him of Seattle, and Seattle's home of my favourite American football team, and apparently they have quite a lot of rain, is what I'm told. Yes, Washington State is famous for rain, as I understand it, and other wonderful things, Starbucks, Nirvana... um, generalised culture, but also rain. Uh, Matt, I saw you yesterday, but it's good to see you again. It is very nice to see you. And I will I will add my voice to this, what the hell is going on with the weather in San Diego? Because it was annoying. There were very, <laughs> very short windows to watch tennis when there's an eight-hour time difference. And I don't need 90-minute delays because of rain. Yes, I think it was Thursday night, wasn't mm. it, when... Um, they'd been really kind to us Brits with the schedule. The the most eye-catching ones to us were Iga Schwantek against Zhang Xin Wen and Bianca Andrescu against... Coco Goff. Coco Goff. And they put those back-to-back at the start of the schedule, which, if you're willing to stay up, you know, a little bit later than normal, was sort of perfect viewing time for the UK. Cue two hours of watching... 
uh, some people standing around in drizzle while children faffed around with towels. <laughs> right in the sweet spot window for, for British viewing. It was so tennis and so frustrating. And you could tell that everyone was going mad because um, the crowd, very... They nicely sung happy birthday to Zheng Xinwen during that rain delay. And she was like, great, that's really nice. But also my birthday was like a week ago or something. <laughs> that was just a real time filler, wasn't it? And, uh, they, they did spend 25 minutes just sitting there waiting. And uh, look, it's very, it's very difficult to know what to do. Do you take them off the court? Do you, do you let them stay there? I was watching that little window. I mean, bear in mind the window is even shorter, smaller when when you're 12 that my daughter is. And I was watching it with her, just watching the rain delay. And every time somebody, like the umpire, went out onto the court with with the towel and put it under the foot and sort of dragged it over the line, she burst out laughing, thought it was the funniest looking thing. Well, that's the appropriate reaction. It is ludicrous. We should all be laughing every time that happens. And that laughter should lead to us going, is there a better way we could be doing this, tennis? Should we be looking at this? I mean, if if if, if we all added up the number of minutes, hours and days that we've spent looking at a screen, watching people stand around with towels under their feet, I think we would be alarmed and depressed at the uh, the figure that would emerge. Anyway, let's not dwell there much longer. Mm. Let's talk about the tennis that uh, happened, some of which we were actually able to watch, folks. Uh, Igor Svantec, the winner in San Diego, beating qualified Donna Vekic, 6-3, 3-6, 6-6, in the final. And given that this time exactly a week ago, we were all predicting that she would probably pull out of San Diego as a result of uh, playing in the final in Estrava last week. Estrava, sorry, <laughs> I was out of the habit. Um, I find this to be a, a pretty extraordinary victory. I, I know she got a, a late start at the tournament, didn't she? She she had uh, pretty much three days, but, but given the, you know, given the time zone change, the surface change, all of it, I find it Pretty amazing, even for, for Iga Shiontek. Uh, and on paper, the people she had to, to beat along the way, Zheng Xinwen early on, to Coco Goff, to Jessica Bagula. These are really, really, these are the good players that are showing up week after week and have been on the, the scene all, all tournament long. And with that time change, I just thought, crikey, that's a big ask. For Sviantec, but she just she's got the bit between her teeth now. She she wants it so much. She reminds me of her in the spring, that desperation, that ruthlessness to just win. She just will win at all costs. And once she's once she finds her way, she's relentless. I mean, I think she beat uh, Coco Goff for the loss of three games. She just targets that weakness, doesn't she, on the forehand side, and she will just pummel it. Um, and I, I don't know, I. I think we we've seen her kind of have her second wind of the year now, and uh, I mean a week ago, you know, we were talking about her losing in a final against Barbara Krachikova, and, and it was pointed out to me that the emotion she showed afterwards was that in some ways happiness at the moment. She's enjoying the experience. It's not she wasn't upset about losing as such as just sort of being emotional that she's got to this point and that she's involved in these occasions and. 
her appetite all week long was not the the appetite that I associate with a player who's dominated the first part of the year. Usually I expect to see somebody flagging at this point of the year. She is not that person right now. Matt, I found uh, pretty much all of her matches this week quite fascinating for different reasons. I loved the Zheng Xinwen match and that's... That's two matches that they've played this year. Both of them have been close and intriguing. Obviously, the first of them at the French Open when Jung took that opening set against Fiontech on a tie break uh, and then not long after ended up re- retiring from the match with what we later learned were um, were period-associated um, pains and difficulties. Um and and now this one where it, they also were split sets and it went down to a decider which ended up playing out this time. And I just think their games match up brilliantly. Yes, it's a potential uh, rivalry that I am touting. One of a few from this week. And then we had the Coco Goff matchup, which um, I thought was going to be a Coco Goff, Andy Murray voice getting closer moment. And... She's maybe not getting closer, but then we had Jessica Pagula, who maybe is getting closer to Iga Shontek. And then, then we had the final against Donna Vekic, who was a qualifier, managed to, to take a set off her. Let's focus on the the Pagula and the Goff matches. Why is Pagula getting closer and Goff not? Good question. I mean, I think Jessica Pagula will be cursing the rain because that very much intervened in her match against Igor Sviantek. She'd taken the first set. Pagula uh, had won four games in a row to take that first set. Sviantek was unravelling a bit, to be honest. She was very, mm. very error-strewn in those games. And then the rain came and Sviantek said she went indoors, did some crosswords and came out and was just on it again. And I think, I think the truth is Sviantek has a a gear that is higher than anything Pagula can find. And if if Pagula is playing well and Sviantek isn't, Pagula is definitely capable of taking advantage, as she did in that first set. But that was a trait of all of Sviantek's matches that you've just listed. She had a, a gear, an acceleration that no one else was able to live with. It was most evident, I think, in the final against Donna Vekic, which I'm sure we'll come on to, just the most incredible third set she played, right when it was a bit tight. And in the Goff match, she started in that gear. And I think maybe that's a sign of real respect that Coco Goff, you know, is is a coming player. She knows she needs to be absolutely on top of her game right from the start, just as she was in that French Open final. It had a very similar feel, that match. It was just kind of over before it even started because Fiontech was so much better from the start. As David said, she's able to target that Coco Goff forehand and that is that is a weakness in a way that I don't think Jessica Pagula has those sorts of weaknesses. She maybe doesn't have the real strengths, but she's she's a much harder player to to target because she's solid everywhere, Pagula. So I think those matches are going to be close. But yeah, it's been an interesting week for sort of what we think of as rivalries because, you know, on paper, Pagula and Sviantek have now played four times this year. That is what we want. We want players to constantly be playing each other. Uh, and Goff and Sviantek have played each other three times now, except Sviantek's won all seven of those matches and only dropped one set. It doesn't feel like the sort of 
compelling rivalries that we're really hoping for. Maybe we're being picky or maybe Sviontek's just just so much better than the rest of the field at the moment. It's up, it's up to the rest to lift their game. And, and it has been pointed out to us that a lot of great rivalries or good rivalries start out one-sided in one direction or the other. Um, so that we shouldn't give up on Shvantec Goff and Shvantec Pagula as a rival. I'm not giving up on it. I just, um, you know, as things stand at the moment, it's it's an unrivalry, isn't it? And then, you know, to 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 take the borrowing of of Chris Clary's brilliant phrase further, you know, it can be the case that these early stages of, of rivalries end up being, you know, completely defining. Um, and I know Maria Sharapova won her first two meetings against Serena Williams, but then she never won again. Um, and the the baggage that she accumulated in those matches and the sort of muscle memory for, for both of them of winning and losing ended up just sort of e- e- extrapolating and snowballing. So it can go either either way. How much hope, David, do you hold out for for these three? Let, let's, let's throw Zhang Xinwen into the mix. Yeah, as well because that one does hold a lot of promise. I, I would say so, and I don't. I don't see what her obvious weakness is, and I also think she has an upper level that can. She, I think, she can keep getting better and and probably elevate her level somewhere near to what Svantec has, just in terms of ability with a racket. I don't think Pagula has that. I don't think she's ever going to have that. She is what she is, and it's very very good. I think Matt's put that perfectly. Goff. Maybe she can iron out those issues with the forehand, but my word, there's some ironing out to do. There are certain players that I think do have the raw materials that could live with Sviantec when they're at the best. Bianca Andreescu is one of them. She's won the US Open. She played Coco Goff for a spell where Andreescu was unplayable. She was setting a breakdown, and suddenly from 3-4, she played half a dozen games that made you remember how amazing she is when she's on her game now if she could package that and be that more often against Svantec she would be at that sort of level the difference is the mental strength and ferocity and relentlessness of Svantec she is not just a great ball striker and tennis player she is a mental giant out there at the moment she is just destroying people in the way that Novak Djokovic was doing with his rivals six years ago and I mean there have been spells since then as well but at times he he just was destroying his nearest rivals because he he was just all over them and that's what she does she comes to get you from ball one and it's up to you whether you can live with it now Andrescu has given me flickers of hope in that match and in one or two of the others but you have to keep doing it you have to build that mental presence uh, on the tour so, you know, I, I, so I, I mean, to answer your question at the moment, Svantec is still head and shoulders ahead of most. Um, the critique of a match was interesting, but over the course of the year, what is it? Eight titles now? 64 wins? Fantastic year. It's officially the best year on the WTA Tour since Serena in 2013 in terms of number of match wins and number of titles you know it's 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 an incredible season um i think kerber in 2016 you would throw in there just because of two slams beating serena in a final olympic silver medal that was a great season as well but just you know most of the numbers are pointing to this being a better year and the final against 
Vekic, I just thought was just a perfect demonstration of how good Sviontek has become and, and, and how great it is to watch. It almost feels a bit like maybe we're sort of wanting there to be a rivalry. Of course we are. We want there to be a rival. But that, that isn't to take away from the fact that what Sviontek is doing, even without one, I am finding extremely compelling. And I think the final against Vekic, Vekic did so well to get that to a set all. You know, she played brilliantly in that in that second set, won the most incredible rally to get the break. There was some controversy in that rally, which maybe we'll come on to as well. But then in the third set, Sviontek played as well as she can, just anticipating all of Vekic's shots, getting in the right position. There was a slice forehand winner cross court, which was just an absolute joke. And that's, that is just a level that no one else has at the moment. I, I, I'm, I'm convinced of that. I think, as you said, Andrescu maybe in the past, Osaka maybe in the past. But right now, when Sviontek's playing like that, it's over. Like, six love. On uh, on Vekic quickly, she she qualified as I said. She beat four top twenty five players in a row to reach that final. Maria Sakkari, Karolina Pliskova, Irina Savalenka, and Danielle Collins. Um, she was forty down in the deciding set against Danielle Collins. That got rained off, and they had to come back the next day, finals day, to finish off that match. Vekic completing the comeback seven six in the third, and then coming back later that day to uh, to play the final. She's back in the top 50, is Vekic, which, you know, given her ability is absolutely at bare minimum where she should be. She's she's only 26. She could have plenty of career ahead of her, but where's she been? She had a big injury, didn't she, I think, last year? Did she have knee surgery, I think? So, so, is, so is this a reversion to the mean, then? Is this what we should be expecting from Donna Vekic? I think so. I think she's been top 20, right? You know, she's she's a great player. Um, and I loved the way she competed this week. You know, I, when she was down in, in the final to Sviontek, I was thinking, well, I feel like based on what we've seen this week from Vekic, she's going to have a moment. She's going to be able to find some inspiration somewhere because she just kept doing it the entire week against really good players. Quite interesting as well, actually, that she did cause Fiontech some problems. And in that second set, just watching them go toe-to-toe, she's one of these players who will not back off. She will stand Mm. on the baseline. She trusts her hands. Uh, A little bit like how Yannick Sinner does. You know, this ability to, no matter how hard it's struck at her, she thinks she can do something with it and redirect it. And she's actually talented enough to do it. I I mean, obviously, there are major injury issues that she's had. She's 26 years of age. She was 19 in the world. I still think, overall, she has maybe underperformed to what she is capable of doing, talent-wise. And that may still be ahead of her. Uh, this is a a, a a little snapshot. Sakari, Pliskova, Sabalenka, Collins. These are these are excellent wins, and they they feel repeatable. Given that it's on a hard court outdoors, there's a lot of outdoor hard court tennis to be played, um, and she's having to go through qualifying. Well, now she's a top fifty player, so that starts to not become a factor anymore. And and if she can have a good run of fitness, maybe maybe this is going to be the best period of her career coming up. 
Jessica Bagula, uh, with her run to the semi-finals, became the third direct qualifier for the WTA finals in Fort Worth, Texas. There are still five spots up for grabs and mathematically 17 players that can still qualify, which is going to make for a fun couple of weeks, isn't it? I mean, the the tournaments that we've got uh, happening this week... Um, well, it's just one tournament, isn't it, on the women's side, a 1,000 in Guadalajara, um, where they've had notable withdrawals, Shrontek and Jabir, who have already qualified for Fort Worth, Contivate not playing, but massive week there for, well, 17 players, quite frankly. It is uh, opportunity abound, only Shrontek, Jabir and uh, Pegula already qualified for the WTA finals, and Pegula is also qualified in the doubles with Coco Goff. They won the title uh, in the doubles in San Diego. And they've both confirmed, haven't they, that they're going to play the Billie Jean King Cup for the USA come what may uh, at the WTA finals, which, uh, you know, we've heard Iga Shontek's thoughts on the matter. She doesn't think it's in her best interests to do that, given the tight turnaround, the undoubtedly tight turnaround. And... We respect and understand that decision, but equally blooming delighted to see that uh, Pagula and Goff are intending to play both. Um, Just sticking with the WTA for a moment before we move on to ATP, there was also a a 250 event this week uh, in Transylvania, the Transylvania Open. Uh, and that was won by Anna Blinkova, who qualified and won the title. She beat Wong, Kalinina, Potapova, and uh, finally beat Jasmine Paulini in the final. All of those wins in deciding sets, and that is Anna Blinkova's first career title. Uh, and when Matt was uh, at Tennis Podcast Towers yesterday, uh, he said, right, I'm going to find out something about Anna Blinkova. Matt, what have you got? <laughs> You just read it all out. <laughs> it's, it's quite I good. I thought you were going to have. I thought you were going to have a supplementary nugget. I went on her Instagram to find try and find a supplementary nugget, and it's all very pleasant stuff. But I would say no, no bombshells. No, nothing worthy of reporting. Just sort of posing in various different places, saying "Have a nice day." I think she's risen about forty or fifty places in the rankings with that with that win. Um, and I, I just find it really interesting. I mean, that's Blinkova and Vekic who've qualified and mm. gone all the way at these tournaments. And, you know, a few months ago, a couple of months ago, whenever it was, we had uh, Borna Choric just out of nowhere playing the tournament of his life and just winning and beating everybody. I, I come back to what I said last... last and, last, you know, Emma Raducanu. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but I come back to what I said last week about form. Where does form come from? I would love to know. I'd love to to have a, a player describe to me what it is like the moment that you hit form that you're not used to having. And I'm not saying that Anna Blinkova hasn't had this sort of form, but I mean, those are good wins. And she's to, to string them all together and go and win a, a first career title as a qualifier. That's not normal for you, is it? And uh, and she's she's just hit this hot streak. Yeah, good on her. Well done, Anna Blinkova. Um, I now follow her on Instagram, so I will. I'll <laughs> keep us informed. I'll keep you up to da- keep you up to date. <laughs> um, moving on to the ATP two two fifties this week. One t- one t- one in Florence uh, or Firenze, 
as uh, the locals call it, and as uh, it was described on the uh, the various tennis scoring apps, and one in Gijón in uh, Spain, which has caused quite some pronunciation issues, but we're very confident it's Gijón. In fact, we're certain it's Gijón, uh, both because Matt is a Spanish speaker and because everyone involved with the tournament was calling it Gijón. Uh, so let's start in Gijón. It's my new Estrava, isn't it? I can feel it happening. Uh, where Andre Rublev <laughs> won a 12th career title. He beat Seb Sebi Sebastian Korda 6-2, 6-3 in the final. Uh, Matt and I watched this final together yesterday. Um, didn't set our worlds on fire um, there was never really a moment where it felt like Andre Rublev wouldn't win. It wasn't a it wasn't a beat down by any means, but it it was just a slight golfing class. Really, there was there was no repeatable way for for Sebastian Korda to win points. It it felt like to me, and as much as he's a very pleasing on the eye player in rallies, Sebastian Korda really smooth ground strokes. It's difficult to see at the moment, and obviously he's young, he can develop his game, he's got good people around him, not least his Grand Slam winning father. Um, but it's difficult to see what's going to elevate him, you know, to what's going to be the difference maker in his game, to make, to give him the jumps up the rankings and the jumps up the sort of career milestones that he's looking to to tick off I'm I'm struggling to see that a little bit at the moment I would say we are requiring fang evidence uh from him and that means from my standpoint he needed to jump out into this match immediately and not wait for it to to happen not wait to see what his opponent did because the moment that Andre Rublev took to the court he was all over him. He was he eager Sviatek'd him, really. He just went out there. Hang on, and, David. Did you watch an Andre Rublev match? I did watch this one, yeah. Um and uh The things you do for this podcast yeah, and I, its listeners, David. I, I do look I, I have I have a hard time watching Rublev, not because I think he's a not a good tennis player, he is. Uh but it's it's the 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 treatment he deals out to himself, the abuse he gives himself, I find it really hard to watch. And and look, even in matches that he was winning quite comfortably, he was still doing that and I still find it problematic. Well, he wasn't doing that in this match because he was just in charge from ball one. And I suppose there's a very fine line between the intensity he brings to the court, which comes to bear on his opponent the way it did against Seb- Sebastian Corda, and when he just combusts and deals it out to himself because it's going wrong but Corder just I think he's I think he's really really good and uh, I mean he beat Andy Murray this week he got to the final I think he's got real weight behind his ground strokes and he loves coming forwards the moment that he hits a deep shot and he gets a remotely shorter ball he will come in and he will trust his volleys and they're actually pretty good and he's got good touch he hit a lot of drop shot winners this week but in the final you have to elevate i think i mean there's a there's a balance between doing what got you there but also showing up for a final ready to take over and that's what rublev did now rublev in grand slams and 1000s doesn't appear to have the the extra gear that you need maybe that'll change but he hasn't shown that, that it's there yet corder needs to get to a final and he needs he needs to go and watch 10 shvontek finals i think 
and see how she does it. Because she's a different player in the final to how she is the rest of the tournament. Meanwhile, Andre Rublev is very good in finals of, of this level. He's sort of the anti-Sitsipas. 250s and Sitsipas, we know, has got it in his head. This uh, this poor record he has in ATP 500 finals, I think it is. To the extent that uh, after losing a 1000 final, he got confused and said, I've got a terrible record in finals at this level. And I hope someone's pointed out to him that actually at 1000 level, he's doing okay. It's at, at 500s, he's... Uh, He's got work to do. But anyway, not so for, for Andre Rublev. Uh, 12th career title, you know, he 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 reaches par, doesn't he? Usually when he plays. He's, he's a great pro week in, week out. He can't get enough of playing tennis. Isn't suffering sort of shock defeats. Um, is obviously f- a lot further on in his progression than, than someone like Sebastian Corder. But... It it's we know he can win these tournaments. We haven't learned anything new about Andre Rublev this week. And as you as you said, David, um, not so in the final. He was actually on I thought very good behaviour in the final. But in other matches this week, particularly the Dominic Team match in the semi final, which I, I, I watched, encouraging signs I think for for Dominic Team overall, despite losing that match. Um, but you know he'd be sort of a set and a break up, and miss a forehand and you know, looked like he was about to throw himself to the wolves, you know, just total crisis out of nowhere. And we know how his crises manifest on the court with, you know, self-flagellation. It's, it is a tough watch at times. And and that's why I think the final was encouraging because there was a moment right at the end, wasn't there, where he had a very simple smash on match point. And Ooh, yes. and he missed it, and I I thought, oh my god, knowing Rublev, how is he going to react to that? And actually, he, he I think he had a really positive reaction in that he kind of laughed it off rather than directing his anger towards himself. It was it was it was like a, a, a sort of growth moment, and I was really encouraged to see that. I agree that still there were you know his his habits were there throughout the week he's not changed but i i do think he wants to change and i do think he's trying to change and if he can i think it will really help him because yeah he was quite he was quite loose in that final and i i realized that a lot of the time i watch rublev when he's not the best player on the court you know i i very often watch rublev against kind of his his rivals you know in the top 10 and in those matches Rublev can sometimes look a little bit limited because he maybe doesn't have that extra gear or he doesn't have the variety in his game necessarily but in this one when he's expected to win I just saw how good he is just week in week out his how good his base level is and why I think Everyone else on the ATP tour seems to kind of be in awe of his game, don't they? They all talk about how good his forehand is and how cleanly he hits the ball. And he was awesome in this final. Very few errors, lots of winners. And yeah, he he just gave Corder very little chance if Corder wasn't going to produce some magic. And and he didn't. Um, and yeah, so it's I think it's Rublev's fourth title of the season. And yeah, as you said, the sort of 
the progression for him is doing this in Grand Slam quarterfinals or in Masters series. Mm. But it's it's confirming who he is, and he's got a great shot at being in, at the ATP finals again. I think for the third for third year in a row. Yeah, it was a it was a, it was a very grown up performance from uh, from Andre Rublev in that final. A couple of wins in Gijón for Andy Murray. Big one over Alejandro Davidovich for Kina in the opening round, straight set 7-5-6-2. And then, you know, your classic Andy Murray epic 7-6 in the third over Pedro Cachin in the second round before losing out to Corder 6-1 in the third. So better than where he was at the start of the season, where he was routinely losing in in second rounds. He's, he's withdrawn from Antwerp this week, the European Open in Antwerp. Of course, the tournament he won... Gosh, would it have been three years ago now? That extraordinary win over Stan Wawrinka in the final. His his first tournament win, his only tournament win since uh, since the hip troubles uh, started to manifest themselves most severely in uh, in 2017. Um, he says uh, we know that the withdrawal from Antwerp is for non-medical reasons. Yeah, basically, I, I asked his manager this morning, actually, and, and uh, he said it, he was never really intending to play four back-to-back weeks if he did well in them, you know, and, and to have got to a quarter-final, um, you know, is, is is a decent return, and he's got Basel and Paris coming up, and I think he's just got to manage the the load really on his body um, in order to, to to play them all. Um, and you know that those were there were a couple of three setters in there. It's it must be quite testing, and um, I, I was quite encouraged for him really. I think he would would have been very frustrated with having won a comfortable second set against Corder, and then really just letting Corder get away with it. Corder played very well in that deciding set, but I think that would have frustrated him. But there, there was some encouragement there, I thought, for Murray. Yeah, agreed. Great intel, David. Thank you very much for your uh, your intel gathering. Um, over in Firenze, uh, Felix Auger-Aliassime won his second career title. He's well and truly broken that finals duck, hasn't he? And he beat JJ Wolf 6-4, 6-4, in the final, David, points for you if you can tell me what the JJ stands for. John Jeffrey. I've been watching JJ over the course of the last week. Matt gave me this quiz yesterday and I said, Jeffrey John, and I've been kicking myself <laughs> no, for the last no, 22 no, no, hours no, no, about no, it. No, 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 it is Jeffrey John. Oh, I is said it? the same as David then. Yes. Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm all at sea. Oh, no. I messed it up. <laughs> well, so did I, David. We messed it up in the same way. I thought he was he was quite good, actually, this last week. Because I was... Somebody says his name, aside from getting it wrong, I tend to think of Mullet and a bit of a showman, really, who's who's more interested in making people go, wow, than actually winning tennis points. And, uh, and, and I, I think there is some truth to that. But... Goodness me, he packaged it all well this last week. He, I saw him beat Alexander Bublik. I saw him win a couple of the matches that he got through. And and uh, I think that's his first ATP final. Um, he was really, really good. And, um, you know, I like the fact that he's just... He, he still hasn't changed, though, in terms of his approach. He's still sticking his chest out and walking around like he owns the place. And I, I just like watching him. Matt, I think it's quite a big deal for Felix Augelia seem to have won a, another final and proved that that previous 
duck breaking wasn't an aberration and this is a new trend that he's on on now and that's that that past trend of losing in finals and really frankly dropping the ball in finals maybe even on occasion laying eggs uh, is is well and truly behind him now that that feels that feels quite big yeah I think so because on the one hand you could look at this as just a title that he should have won you know he was probably the best player in the draw and certainly heavily favoured in the final but as you said that record was what one and nine in finals going into this one and therefore I don't think we can underestimate the significance for him of being able to win a final just the more he does it the more it's going to help him I'm sure it has to be a a confidence boost and I thought he played really well all week um certainly I watched him in the semi-finals against Lorenzo Musetti and I thought he was fantastic you know I, I, I always feel this with Oje Aliassime you can tell quite early on how he's playing and he was just immediately hitting the ball cleanly and confidently and not spraying it all over the place. And his backhand in particular, I thought, was excellent. And yeah, it's he's he's really great when he imposes himself like that and he is playing well. He's he's a very, very tough guy to stop, especially in those conditions, I think. And he's he's also well in the hunt for ATP finals qualification. It's it's gonna be tight. I think he's playing all the weeks. He's not uh, Andy Murray with a metal hit worried about his load. He's just going right through this <laughs> this indoor swing and is going to play as much as he can to try and be there. Load me up, says <laughs> Felix. Um, just on that semi-final, Matt, the win over Lorenzo Mazzetti, I was only following that on live scores because uh, I was uh, at a London Film Festival screening on Saturday night watching an absolute turkey. <laughs> Uh, but uh, on paper, oh, I don't want to. I don't want to be mean. It it was um, my policeman. The um, it's it's one of Harry Styles' forays into acting. I, I was uh, hearing a review of that the other day, and and it, mm. it seemed to, t- to tally with your verdict. <laughs> He's not the only one at fault, I would say. They seem to think um, he was, and it's a very well. <laughs> Well, <laughs> I'm a big Harry Styles fan, as you know, but when you're casting an Englishman in a role, you don't expect him to struggle with an English accent. And uh, I think I think that <laughs> was quite a big problem. Okay. Anyway, anyway, he wasn't the only one at fault. Um, and so anyway, it, it caused me to, to miss the, the meat on the bones of Musetti and Orgelia Seam. From the live from, from the scores, it looked like just a fairly routine win for Orgelia Seam, but Matt, um there was a little more going on than that, as I understand it. Yes, that's right, because Musetti had been playing brilliantly. He'd had a he'd had a brilliant week. I saw him play Mackenzie McDonald and he was just in electrifying form, just hitting winners everywhere. And I think he was kind of the only Italian who did well in Florence. And they were really getting behind him. There was a, there was a great atmosphere in his matches. And he, he started this against Orge Aliassime in, in pretty good form as well. And then it was a big occasion. The atmosphere was up. And then he went down a break, Mosetti, and uh, called for a medical timeout, had some, had some treatment on his chest, and I must I must admit at the time I thought it was a sort of physical injury. But then 
it wasn't really manifesting itself in rallies and in shots. He didn't look in physical pain. He just didn't look quite right. Um, and then it ended up being a, a pretty routine win for Orgialia Seam. And then it came out afterwards that Musetti said in his press conference that he thinks it was a panic attack that he had. And um, he said it, he's never suffered them before, but it was clear to him that it wasn't something that he was going to be able to overcome during the match. He was just having difficulties breathing and wasn't feeling right. And it was going to take him time to get back to normal um he did say that he didn't want to retire because of the fans which you know given <laughs> given Mazzetti's oh. career is a is an excellent quote um because of the support he was receiving and because it was this sort of amazing spectacle so I, I felt for him because he clearly wasn't feeling right and maybe the sensible thing to do would have been to retire uh mm. but he but he did play through and yeah I just think it's I just think it's um, in the same way we said that it was important that Simona Halep spoke about that after she suffered a panic attack during the French Open. I think it's it's the same same here as well. Yeah, absolutely. Here, here. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas... You will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. The ATP Tour stays in Italy this week. There is a, a pop-up 250 event in Napoli or Naples, depending on what part of the world you're uh, you're looking at it from. Um, it is not going to plan in <laughs> in old Napoli, is it, Matt? Lovely part of the world. I went on holiday there not long ago. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I should recommend some sightseeing to the to the players that uh, in the draw because they ain't playing tennis today. <laughs> Uh, it, it, it's fair to say it's not going to plan. No, there are some fundamentals that you need for staging a tennis tournament and a court is high on the list and they don't currently have one because the players rocked up at this event, you know, end of last week to start qualifying and practicing and it was a disaster. I mean, literally... They were leaving footprints on the court like you would leave a footprint in sand. It was that bad. And they had to postpone the qualifying, uh, play that off-site. 
the main draw is meant to be starting today, but it's not because they are apparently shipping the court from Florence over <laughs> to funny. Naples so that it can be reused this week. This is this is very Champions Tour, isn't it, David? <laughs> yeah, it sure is. Uh, I mean, I've been I've stood on the Royal Albert Hall court as it was being built, and then like half an hour after they've said it's finished. I've walked onto the court with players and they've they've pointed out gaps between the sort of two tiles in the court. <laughs> yeah. that if the ball hits one of those, yeah, it's going to deviate. There's a sinkhole over there. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, funny enough, in, in I went to Naples, I think, in 2014 for the Davis Cup tie with Italy and Great Britain. And I, I think that that was a a temporary kind of pop-up clay court that they used for that. They're a really nice stadium that they built for it right by the sea. It was a beautiful setting, but they had loads of issues with the court surface during that, and they just kept having to bring a bloke on with a wheelbarrow to sort of fill in holes with the with the with the clay top dressing. And but that that's the most serious of its type on the regular tour that I can ever remember. I mean, there was there was the time where Andy Roddick walked over with a with a referee at the U.S. Open once to to show how the court was basically breaking before his very eyes, and there was water coming up from underneath, and they had to. He, he then marched everybody off to another court nearby uh, to play at the U.S. Open, but to have a tour event unable to be played for a couple of days like this. I mean, they're still in qualifying round one today so not ideal and you think they would be thinking well let's uh we've got no court let's steer away from other areas of of controversy well that is not what uh old napoli have been thinking uh because uh andrea seppi an italian man uh is retiring at the end of this season and has been denied a wild card into both the events last week in Florence and this week in Naples. And uh, as I'm sure you can imagine, he's extremely unhappy about that. He wanted to to retire in front of his home fans. And uh, John Millman is unhappy about it as well. He, he says, uh, Andrea Seppi, not getting a wild card into a tour event in Italy to end his career is a joke. The guy has had a brilliant career, represented his country at Davis Cups and Olympic Games, and the Italian Federation can't give a wild card. Pretty pathetic. So it's all going brilliantly in uh, in Napoli. <laughs> Looking forward to Turin. I, I I haven't seen the tournament's reasoning for not giving him a wild card at this point. And I mean, I am mindful that they've got a lot of players there. And if they need to give them to up and coming players... Luca Nardi has got one. Well, there you go. I, I can I could understand that. But the the nostalgic sense in me is that this guy, 38 years of age, has given an awful lot to tennis and to tennis in Italy and it would have been nice to have given him a wild card Agreed uh, There is also ATP events as we said uh, in Antwerp this week Hubert Hercatch and Felix auger seem are the top seeds uh, Jack Draper against Jensen Brooksby is a first round Sam Varenka against Richard Gasquet is a first round and a sort of throwback single-handed backhand off uh, and in Stockholm, we have Stefan Sitsipas, Cam Norrie, Francis Tiapo, and Denis Shapovalov as the top four seeds. And how about this for a round one? Tommy Paul against Leo Borg. 
of being Bjorn Borg's son fame. Yeah. He's not quite happening, is he, Leo Not Borg? yet. 19. No. <laughs> so mm. maybe, maybe what he's... He's, we'll, uh, he's ranked 577 in the world at the moment. Um, we'll, we'll watch closely. Bit of work to do. With Anna Blink of his Instagram. Yeah. Um, and I mentioned that there's the WTA 1000 event in Guadalajara this week. Uh, Badosa and Sabalenka, the top two seeds, first round matchups include Azarenka against Zhang Shuai, uh, Elena Rybakina against Karolina Pliskova, Jill Teichman against Bianca Andreescu. I'm definitely up for that. Uh, Belinda Bencic against Leila Fernandez and uh, Kinepi against Samsonova. And yeah, the fact that 17 players can still qualify for the WTA finals makes that a thrilling week, I think, in uh, in Guadalajara. Few other bits of business for you from the week that's just passed in tennis. Uh, we've had the news that Emma Raducanu is going to start working with the uh, the fitness trainer Jez Green. Of course, formerly worked with Andy Murray for for so many years. Had a a spell with Alexander Zverev as well. Uh, sort of brought him on from from junior to to you know proper seasoned senior i suppose um he's been working with dominic team and is still working with dominic team currently but will be advising emma Adekanu in the weeks ahead um and this has come in tandem with the news that dmitry tersonov um is no longer working with the emma Adekanu team um they were working together at the US Open uh, and in the couple of tournaments in the lead up to that. It was only ever announced as a, a trial arrangement, but it's obviously not being continued beyond this. I mean, Jez Green is a great appointment. That's that's the long and short of it. it it's clear that, you know, it, it. I don't think it's as simple to say there's a lack of fitness there, but there's something going wrong with her body. Her body keeps breaking down. And Jez Green, you know, as I did a ham-fisted job of trying to describe with Alexander Zverev is great at turning young players into solid, hardened pros. Mm, yeah, I, I I would back him to make her the robust athlete she needs to be to withstand the tour and also to to have the confidence in her own body to that she will be able to withstand the tour because I think there must be a, a lot in the mind as well as the body about any twins you get i mean how do you know if you get if you get pain whether it's serious or not i think jez is so experienced he'll be able to help her with that um certainly the sort of person i would want to to, to have working with her um Tursunov made the decision himself that he wanted to work with another player um which who who knows who would be a good fit for emirada kanu as a coach I, I certainly don't but I think she's already ticked off the most important appointment there um, on paper. Agreed. Um, there was an Australian Open launch uh, and uh, the most significant piece of news coming out of that is that the uh, Australian Open won't be lobbying for Novak Djokovic either way to be able to play the Australian Open. Craig Tiley said, it's not a matter we can lobby on. Novak and the federal government need to work out the situation and then we'll follow any instruction after that. It's a matter that definitely stays between the two of them and then depending on the outcome of that, we would welcome him at the Australian Open. And a reminder that it is 
nothing to do with COVID or his vaccination status now, which is potential potentially denying him entry into the Australian Open. It's the fact that he has been deported. He has a deportation on his record and that by the letter of the law means you are denied entry to the country for I believe it's five years until until 2025 it is he's banned from re-entering Australia so he personally can lobby on the matter but Tennis Australia won't be doing so and look as far as I can tell nothing is going to change in that situation between now and the Australian Open I see no reason why that decision can't be made soon uh, and we can all be <laughs> prevented <laughs> from what we had to endure uh, at the start of this year I include Novak Djokovic and ourselves in that uh, nobody wants to go through anything remotely like that again so I would just ask that the decision be made and stuck to and that that be that uh, we've had the news from Patrick Maratoglu, who says, while Simona Halep takes some time to recover, she encouraged me to seek a new collaboration. Today, I'm pleased to announce that I'm joining Holger Runa's team. I'm really excited to start working with Holger. We've had a special bond since the day we met when he was just 13. Um, so, yep, that's a new team. Uh, David, you love team names. Have you got one for those two? Prune. That's actually quite good. Uh, we've got baby news. Uh, we have a Gems Life baby uh, born to um, Alina Svitolina and Gail Monfils, Sky Monfils. Uh, there have been some very heartwarming posts from both members of Gem- Gems Life. Uh, some congratulations to them. Congratulations also to Daniil Medvedev, who's had a very surprised baby. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure anybody knew that that was on the card. <laughs> um, I mean, ob- obviously he did, uh, okay. but I-, I love that it's you know been completely private. That's not a criticism at all, but was certainly a surprise. <laughs> Less so uh, the Rafael Nadal baby. Very unsurprising uh, a- baby. <laughs> there's a new Rafael Nadal in town, folks, and it's Rafael Nadal the second. Uh, so congratulations uh, to everybody involved there. Um, and a couple of uh, other points, David, that I want to come to you on, both of them. First of all, a really distressing one, actually, a story in The Times today about a, a 21-year-old British player called Tanisha Desanayake. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, she has had to retire from the sport at the age of 21 because of long COVID. Uh, two and a half years ago, she was competing at the Sunderland ITF event alongside Emma Raducanu. And here she is, not that long later, being forced to to retire from the sport. It's um, I know this one's close to home for you, David, and it's uh, it's tough to hear about. It, it really is. Uh, I read this this morning. It's uh, written by Stu Fraser, and he's he's done a twenty minute Zoom call with her, which she conducted from bed, and she said that she has had to plan her week in order to be able to do that Zoom call, and that meant two days of rest and two days built in to recover from doing a twenty minute Zoom call. This is a, a professional athlete who two years ago was full of fitness and full of hopes and full of expectation of a of a successful tennis career and 
she's had her life just decimated by this this awful condition long covid which i have a very mild case of relatively speaking now i have to say i I had a little relapse of it a week ago and it's 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 been horrendous uh to be honest um in in many ways but you know i've also had three months of feeling absolutely fine and and i can't imagine how she feels feeling like that all the time for two years and she she talks in this piece about having managed to go on holiday to Portugal this year and she she was in a wheelchair while she was there but she wanted to go for a change of scenery and there were bars and shops just just around the corner from where she was staying and she couldn't go to any of them because she just couldn't couldn't handle it physically it's just too much and um and I'm just desperately sorry for her I desperately hope that uh, enough um advances can be made in medication and understanding of this condition in order to help people like her and uh, I just wish her well it's uh, it's it's something that I recommend anybody read because people don't know what this condition is doing to people and you go to the doctor and they don't know what to say to you they don't know what it is they don't I don't think a lot of the time they even believe you um but she's an example of somebody who's had a life ruined and i just hope it is something that can be rebuilt for her because it's it's horrendous absolutely and i think there's a lot of people out there that think you know oh covid's over let's forget about it and i understand that instinct we we all want to pretend it hasn't happened but there are so many millions of people and i'm sure thousands of our listeners living with significant effects of it and um you know you haven't been forgotten. You haven't been forgotten, certainly not by us anyway. So uh, we're thinking of all of you. Uh, and we certainly wish Tanisha very well indeed. Uh, David, one last point from you. Uh, now, I don't want you to, in in, in your slightly delicate state post-long uh, COVID relapse, I don't want you to expend too much energy <laughs> on, on this. Uh, but I do want you to expend some uh, because David treated us uh, on the WhatsApp group this week to the most wonderful rant. And I'd like you to just, just create that, recreate that, David, for our listeners, if if you will. Well, I, I don't know whether I can in quite the, uh, the gusto with which I uh, presented it to you yesterday, because that was very much in the moment. But it was in, it was about the, the, the inverted comma sport of pickleball which um i have never played but which looks like fun and which is something i understand is a a version of tennis that looks like mini tennis for kids to me but with table tennis rackets or something like that there's there's, there are some similarities to the sport of paddle that is becoming very popular in europe um and except that that's on an enclosed space more like a sort of glass type squash court isn't it it's not played on tennis courts right okay so crucially you know you're not having to take away tennis court time which pickleball to create pickleball and pickleball is is an american appears to be uh, an American. It could only thing, be. Really, it could only it? be American with um, that name. And look, I think it as as a as a pastime and as a bridge to tennis, or as a thing to do once you are too old to play tennis. Um, 
or not good enough to play tennis looks fantastic to me and i'm sure and i know that there are professional elements to the game as well and they're trying to build it and and i'm sure there's great skill involved and athleticism and all the rest of it fine i am getting rather sick of hearing and reading about tennis players past and present telling me how amazing pickleball is and by rather sick folks he means incandescent (laughs) now it may be all of those things, but a lot of these people are investing themselves in it, whether they're playing it or investing in it as a as a as a sport for the future. I know that they've recently announced a I think major league pickleball or something in which Tom Brady, the NFL quarterback, has invested in and LeBron James. And it was brought to my attention because Kim Kleisters and James Blake, two people I have enormous amounts of time for as as people and former champions have also invested in it and inevitably and understandably they are talking a lot about it as a result of their investment i get that and and it does look like a fun pastime as i say it looks like like a, a good time but i would rather hear former tennis players telling me how great tennis is to be honest and trying to encourage people to watch that and getting excited about that more often than than pickleball the tennis channel have broadcast pickleball tournaments the tennis magazine clues in the title folks tennis magazine had it on its cover in june um and uh, I, I was I was reading a, an exchange around about the time that all this was going on. Andy Roddick said about it, and I think that this sums it up just about perfectly. He says, pickleball is like tennis, but with no learning curve, movement, spin, or speed. <laughs> he said, that being said, it takes up way less space than a tennis court, and it is fun. But I question whether or not, he said on Twitter to somebody who was asking about it and taking him to task, he says, I question whether or not it'll survive as a pro sport because we generally don't want to watch something that we can do pretty easily. I get its value recreationally, for sure. And that's how I would feel about it. Now, and, and I know I must sound like a right old stick in the mud to people who like pickleball and have enjoyed it and think, well, what, what's your problem? Just let them get on with it. And that's absolutely fine. But stop sticking it in my face as a tennis fan or as somebody who cares about the sport of tennis and holding it up as something that's better than tennis it's not better than tennis all right it's different to it it's uh it might be a pathway to tennis or it might be something you play after you can't play tennis anymore because you're not able to run around enough i don't know but leave it (laughs) all right just leave it um and uh it's a bit it's it's a little bit how i felt when the ultimate tennis showdown was doing its rounds um and i think what it is it's it's the making out that this is the next big thing and we should all stop what we're doing because this is happening and this is better and more important than what tennis already is and i mean i think the ultimate tennis showdown they wrote that their goal was to build a long-term international league of showdown series events that will offer an alternative to the traditional shores event tours eventually events will take place all over the world uts is not designed to be a one-time hit if uts is a movie we mean to make it a saga or think of it as the netflix next binge-worthy tv show well, UTS last took place 17 months ago. So I don't think that it is the next big thing or a saga for the future. So 
tennis is, let's get excited about tennis, particularly if we're on the Tennis Bloody podcast. Right, David, you have earned yourself a week-long lie down. Matt, he's, he's trampled on some of your turf, turf there with a UTS rant. I love the way that rant developed and just took UTS along with it. That was that was brilliant, <laughs> David. That was really special. Are we to assume you won't be watching Noah Rubin try his hand at pickleball, David? That was the big news this Pro- week. Probably not. And Sam Query's apparently entering as well, uh, who's just retired uh, from tennis. And again, good luck to them. I hope they have a lovely time. I hope they make some money, all the rest of it. But don't forget where you came from. And on that note, folks, we draw this epic edition of the tennis podcast to a close. Uh, April and Phantom are the cats lucky enough to be mascots to this episode they are litter mates uh, so they're siblings i really do enjoy animal siblings uh, and they were rescued together oh this is this is loveliness uh owned by aj nathan they're both gray tabby domestic short hairs there'll be a picture of them in our newsletter uh they're adorable they look like kittens to me aj are they very young let us know uh, do get in touch and let us know uh how how old they are and just generally how they're getting on. April and Phantom, thank you. AJ, hopefully not a pickleball player. (laughs) (laughs) Be an unfortunate episode, wouldn't it? Uh, David has his uh, mascot Darwin. Right, Darwin. Darwin, I think I think you've done well this week. I've got Carter. Uh, we were very much let down by Matteo Berrettini this week, Carter. Um, I can't remember who he lost to, but he shouldn't have been losing it. Uh, Matt has the dearly departed Gerald, um, who thought he was onto something. Matt did uh, when Danielle Collins was four to up in the third set of her semi final, and uh, alas, did not it was come the off. Rain That's- again. That's why he was so angry last night. Mm, mm. Yes. Uh, Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss are sponsors to Billie Jean. Chris Albert Lee and Kyle Weingartner are our executive producers and all-around top blokes. And Matt, we have shout-outs. We do. We have Emma Boylan in Dublin. All right, Emma. Hello, Emma. Very Tennessee name these days, Emma. Yeah. I'll say it then. Raducanu. <laughs> uh, and Dublin, lovely place. Yeah. Should we have our usual when we have an Irish um, an Irish shout out? We always go, why aren't there Irish tennis players? Yeah, why Let us they? know, Emma. <laughs> sort it out, Emma. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your support. We've also got Amy Greer in Vale, Colorado. All right, Amy. Hello, Amy. There, there must tennis be tennis Amy's. Amy's. Frazier, Amy Frazier from back in the day, I can tell you. I watched uh, some of her play during Tennis Relived, I think. I don't quite know why, but I did. <laughs> just, just for kicks. Have you done the Tennis Relived episode that we weren't on? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Uh, thank you very much, Amy. And finally, we've got Susanna Hogendorn from Madison, Ooh. Wisconsin. Wow. Matt, that's the capital of Wisconsin, I believe. Fantastic name. And Susanna um, says that her and her son, Bennett, are long-time listeners. 
Hey. I, I'm, I'm getting anxious at American uh, shout-outs now because it sort of increases the chances that they might be into pickleball. <laughs> <laughs> I've, just, I've just completely alienated massive swathes of our Look, we're, n- we're not saying don't play pickleball. If if no. if Susanna or your son Bennett uh, is is a bar pickleball fans, then sure, that's fine. I wonder how many emails we'll get this week, Matt. <laughs> All right, Bennett. <laughs> Hello to you both. Thank you ever so much for your support. If you would like to get yourself a shout out on the tennis podcast, you can do so by becoming a friend of the tennis podcast, and the link to do that is in our show notes. There are also intros up for grabs and as of next year, there will be new everything up for grabs, including those much-coveted pet mascot slots that always fly off the shelves. Uh, We'll be back next week with a new weekly tennis podcast and we'll also soon be recording a new Friends podcast uh, because we've had a lot of requests um, for Matt's takes on Roger Federer's retirement and the Labour Cup in general, because, of course, Matt, you were laid low with COVID during that time. Um, very pleased that you're back to full health now. And, uh, yeah, you can you can give the people what they want with your Federer takes. Mm. David and I will just be along for the ride. I was in a, I was in a strange uh, state during the Labour Cup, but I, I remember Ellie Goulding. I remember Team World winning. That's, I'll stop and you there, Matt. That's really weird. all that's important. Mm. Do, does anything now feel show. like a COVID fever dream? Totally. <laughs> I mean, I think she felt like that for everyone who was there as well. <laughs> right then. So that's coming soon for Friends of the Pod. Make sure you subscribe to the newsletter if for some inexplicable reason you haven't already. And the link to do that is also in our show notes. Thanks for listening, folks. We will be back next week. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now. And we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas... You will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.